Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Eric Erickson here. I, I, we're having a weird day on the internet. Uh, Twitter went down. Our satellite connection went down. Uh, the internet appears to be being super flaky today and transmitting data around it. It's if you, I apologize if you got a couple of minutes of dead air and wondering where the heck did I go? Did they throw me off the air? No, apparently. Uh, the internet itself and satellites around the world, or it, it wasn't just us. Uh, telling this to Jim as well, Jim's social media giants went down as well about the same time our data went down. I have no idea what's going on. So Twitter is back up. We're back up. Facebook is back up. Everything seems to be like a hiccup in the world. Maybe, maybe it was, maybe it was the rapture and we're still here <laughs> in any of it. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson. The phone number is 877-973-7425. I, I, I feel awful that some of you did not hear my environmental wacko pick for the Super Bowl, but it's got to be the Rams because the Bengals are endangered, but also Southeast Asian and the environmental wackos want to keep them out of Harvard and certainly want to keep them from winning the Super Bowl. So that's uh, that's got to be it. So now we must move on to other things. I, I answered a question as, as diligently as I could in the last uh, half hour, and it threw off where I was going to be, but that's okay because I'm going to go on. This is Joe Biden, who is kind of behind the game. There's a lot of ground uh, in the interview from the standoff with Ukraine to the economy to the Supreme Court. But we began with the pandemic. A number of blue state governors are now moving to roll back indoor mask requirements, getting ahead of CDC guidance. I asked the president whether he thinks they are bowing to political wins. Omicron and the variant, all the variants have had a profound impact on the psyche of the American people. I mean, they have, they've had a profound impact. For example, think of all the kids who didn't get to go to a prom, all the graduations that didn't occur, all the things that, I mean, it's had a real psychological impact. Are you afraid, though, that some states and, and cities are moving too quickly to loosen indoor mask mandates? I committed that I would follow the science, the science as put forward by the CDC and the, and the, and the federal people. And uh, I think it's probably premature, but it's, you know, it's, it's a tough call. I think it was David Leonhardt in the New York Times uh, who made this point today on follow the science. Everybody says, follow the science, follow the science. What does following the science actually mean. 
are we to comply with the CDC's guidance on masks, on COVID protocols? Are we to follow them? I, I have a question if you're nodding your head. If you're saying yes, whatever the CDC says, that's what we need to follow. Do you eat raw cookie dough? Do you eat cake batter? Do you eat pork cooked to less than 160 degrees Fahrenheit? So it's a little pink in the middle. Do you eat medium rare hamburgers? Because the CDC says not to do any of that, and most Americans do all that. They can pry the cookie dough from my cold, dead hands after I get botulism, salmonella, and die. It'll be worth it. I mean, in, in the Erickson household, we've been known to make cookie dough just for the cookie dough, not the cookies. Kids love it. The odds of you getting salmonella, by the way, uh, from un, from raw cookie dough, freshly made raw cookie dough, uh, you've got greater odds of being sucked up in a tornado. But yet the CDC tells us not to do it. So should you follow the science? So Joe Biden says we're going to follow the science on masks. We're going to follow the science on masks. Well, if we were following the science on masks, he would be mandating everyone get the N95 mask. But he's not doing that. So he's not really following the science. Following the science is when people are anti-science, when they don't want to do anything scientific data suggests they should do. Following the science, I guess, is something you should say. But at the same time, when you're not following the science, but you say you're following the science, it kind of discredits the whole idea of following the science, does it not? And that's where Joe Biden is on following the science. He's following CDC guidelines for this, but you and I both know Joe Biden would eat raw cookie dough. So he's not following the science on that. And really what he's doing is he's making risk assessments based on what the data has from the CDC and the like, he's making risk assessments and his risk assessment is not risky enough for most Americans who are willing to move about. Uh, I guess it's time to go to Las Vegas because the governor of Nevada just in the last 10 minutes has said no more masks. Masks are out. Masks are gone. No more masks. No masks in schools. No masks in casinos. No masks in public. No masks in Las Vegas, anywhere in Nevada, anymore. Go back to go back to your lives. I just, I listen... I, I don't want to stay on this point. I, I really don't, but I'm just fascinated by it. How bad is the polling, the internal polling? Because a switch flipped last week, in the middle of the week, last week. It wasn't two weeks ago. It wasn't three weeks ago. It was every Democratic governor in America, a switch flipped. And it came after the Democratic Governors Association meeting where they had behind-the-scenes, closed-door polling briefings. What must the polling have been at the Democratic Governors Association meeting? 
to get them to do this. That's one of the key details that's been missed by everybody. And it, just, it had slipped my mind until this very moment as I'm talking. There was a DGA meeting. The National Governors Association met in Washington. The Democratic Governors Association had their meetings behind closed doors. And then suddenly they all rush out. They say, well, we're it's time to go back to normal. Time to go back to normal. There must have been a polling briefing that showed them how bad it was. They must have had the after-action report on Virginia. And that's why they suddenly flipped. That's my theory on this. Uh, they, they they flipped because of that. That, that. that makes the most sense. Because it was a sudden reversal. And, you know, listen, there are times, there are ways, there are patterns by which people all arrive at the same conclusion. And a lot of times the way it works is there's no master plan. There's no master email list. There's no coordination. People, now listen, I and I got to admit this, and, and I don't want you to hear me disparaging any of you because I was in this camp until I saw firsthand how it works. You and I have thought when everyone starts saying the same thing, and everyone starts using the same phrase. There's got to be some level of coordination. I I was totally in this camp for the longest time. Remember, uh, back in when Dick Cheney became uh, George W. Bush's vice president, the entire media seized upon the word gravitas. He brought George Bush gravitas. That's why he did. And, and there were montages. I remember Rush Limbaugh played the montage of Gravitas. He's got gravitas, 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 gravitas. Well, the reason is because of gravitas, 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 gravitas. And you're like, my gosh, did they sit in a room and coordinate the talking point? I used to think that, and then I spent some time in the media at Fox and CNN. Let me tell you what typically is what happens. Uh, there will be occasionally people can get on background briefings from somebody. But what typically happens, and this is the, the default, is that uh, in usually the New York Times or the Washington Post, some political expert is quoted with a good word or a good line. And all the people who are on television and radio talking about this, they either read the article or they see people reference the article and it it sticks. It, they're not on a super secret email list that you're not on. And they're not on a Slack chat that you're not on. They're not text messaging back and forth. And they're not getting these deep dive briefings behind the scenes. Those happen. But typically what happens is it's just one Politico in one newspaper cites a reason. So someone somewhere in some newspaper said that Dick Cheney was was picked because of Gravitas or a, a guy like Karl Rove on background said it to a couple of people. And it just spread like wildfire. And it's everybody grabbing on to somebody else's point and making it their own point. And so it becomes conventional wisdom. Conventional wisdom tends to be had because we're in a ratings-based business and people want to say something that sounds smart. And if that smart guy is saying it, by God, I'm going to say it because he's smart. I want people to think I'm smart. And that's what's going to happen. So you get these coordinated talking points or the accusation of coordinated talking points. And it's not really necessarily coordinated talking points. It really, more often than not, is somebody gets a good point, somebody gets a good line, and everybody steals it and claims it as their own. And everybody starts talking about the same thing and echoing it. 
But the mask issue is different. And the reason the mask issue is different, it has to be different, is because only two weeks ago, three weeks ago, they were all very insistent that no, no, you can't get out of the mask. So why the 180 in a matter of weeks, particularly when even though Omicron is tanking, the Omicron data, the, the Omicron is collapsing, the high, pay attention to this, this is important here, the daily case count of infection is still higher than at any other time where there are more Omicron cases today than there have ever been COVID cases in a single day through the Delta variant, the Beta variant, the Alpha variant, all the variants. There's still more of them today. And yet they're like, well, you can take off your mask now, except for Joe Biden and the CDC saying it. The only thing that's happened that the Democrats had the DGA meeting in Washington, Democratic Governor Association meeting in Washington. They had background briefings and pollsters, and they probably had an after-action report on Virginia, and that caused the talking points to change. Talking points are funny things. Uh, you, you get on television sometimes, and you just intuit and that this is this is the thing everyone's saying, and everybody presumes that it came from someone smarter than them or more in the know than them, and everybody uh, goes for the conventional wisdom. You know, that's kind of why I like doing talk radio from the middle of Georgia. I don't get invited to the phone calls. I mean, well, I, I take the fact that, that I get invited, but typically they're between noon and three. I don't have the background briefings with me. I don't want the background briefings. I would prefer to digest all the news myself, call the people I want to call, and make up my own mind. Uh, in in Washington and New York now, in the media, it's just really, really openly notorious that everybody takes the uh, it takes the briefings. And uh, so somebody goes to a briefing. And they hear a good line, it makes it into a New York Times report, and everybody else grabs hold of that line and pretends that they themselves were in a briefing that they were never a part of, and they echo the conventional wisdom. And the conventional wisdom is conventional. It's what everybody thinks. Honestly, it's often right. But very frequently, it trips everybody up and they get something wrong. And I think to some degree, we've seen this with COVID. The conventional wisdom for the longest time actually probably was right. But as we learn more and more about the virus and the virus mutated, a lot of things people initially believed turned out to be wrong or because the virus mutated no longer applied and people very dogmatically dug in their heels on what had been the conventional wisdom and they refused to change. They didn't want to follow the science. They wanted to follow the herd. It's very different following the herd than the science, but sometimes it's very hard to recognize which one you're actually following. Hello there, it is Eric Erickson. The phone number here is 877-973-7425. I apparently offended some environmentalists with my environmental wacko pick for the Super Bowl. If you weren't around, my theory is, although I'm a Bengals supporter because Joe Burrow is there and the LSU National Championship team is basically the Bengals, Gotta be the Rams because though the Bengals are tigers from Southeast Asia and a protected endangered species, well, the left doesn't much care for Asians these days. They discriminate against them, uh, even at Harvard. And so they'll root for the Rams. And of course, the Rams are a team at a coastal elite um, that celebrates Pride Week and all of that. So the Rams are just politically correct. They're probably going to win anyway. But nonetheless, that's how I think the environmental wackos would, would decide it. But I apparently I, I uh, upset some environmentalists who say, actually, 
actually, oh, and a friend of mine just emailed and said, yeah, and the Bengal Tigers are meat eaters too, and meat eating is bad. Uh, they won't eat the Beyond Burger, but the Rams probably will. Um, but I've got, I've been inundated with emails. You know, I'm a Republican and I'm an environmentalist too. Well, are you? Because you clearly have no sense of humor. Oh, wait. Yeah, I guess you are an environmentalist. <laughs> you know, I'm totally fine with environmentalism. I, I think it's, you, I recycle, you should recycle. I'm, I think we are supposed to be good stewards of the planet. The problem is that the environmental wackos, think the only way to be a good steward of the planet is to abandon capitalism and give up our way of life and tax the poor. Joe Biden has announced a $100 million grant to build electric charging vehicle stations in just the state of Virginia. I was chatting with a group of friends about this the other day, and uh, they gave me the data on this, and this is bizarre. So there's a $100 million grant from Joe Biden to expand electric vehicle fueling stations in Virginia. There are 10,000 electric vehicle car owners in the state with 8.7 million people. So it's about $10,000 per car for this grant to build a fuel charging station, an electric vehicle electrization fuel station. So... The rich and the wealthy are going to get subsidized in Northern Virginia, so they will be happy. And the rest of the people of Virginia, not so much. I'm not opposed to electric vehicles. I've thought about a Tesla. I drive a big gas guzzling SUV, but then I like to go into the mountains and turn on the four-wheel drive mode that I forgot I had at first until I slid into any long story. But I like to go fly fishing. I want to go up desperately up to Helen. Um, some friends have a family farm. It's up for sale. And I want to go get as much fly fishing in as I can before it's sold. One day I'd like to have a nice farm on a river up in North Georgia or North Carolina or somewhere where I can go fly fishing. It'd be wonderful. Love it. But I'm not going to drive a Tesla up there because it won't hold all my family stuff. We're not exactly like Packers in the Erickson household. I, I, I alone probably am. Not so much the rest of the family, shh. But nonetheless, Tesla's not going to cut it. Uh, also, you know, electric vehicles, they're fine for moving around the city, but I don't want to have to stop and try to fuel up my car with battery juice. <laughs> Technical term. And I have to wait 30 minutes when I can literally, I filled up my gas-guzzling GMC Yukon Denali the other day. It took five minutes to fill it up with gas. And on the way I went, as opposed to even the high-speed charging station, could take 20 minutes. See, you know, my time is valuable. I I need to be able to drive because I got text to respond. And, I mean, I only respond to text while I'm driving. I kid. I kid because I love you. But the, the bottom line point here is this. I don't care your partisan positions. You should be a good steward of the planet. It's the only one we have. But the whole idea that we've got to give up our civilization or that we can't recognize that there are serious environmental trade-offs for battery-powered cars between lithium mining and then the cold-fired plants needed to sustain them because you want reliable energy and wind and solar are not reliable. The last time the whole world depended on wind and solar energy, it was called the Dark Ages for a reason. And they just they can't seem to balance this out. 
and they've lost their sense of humor. My gosh, I want to play y'all a clip when we come back of a of an anti-meat feminist warrior who has lost her mind, and you just wait for these talking points. They're going to go mainstream. You know it, and I know it. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-973-7425. Should you wish to be a part of this year's program, let's go to Tony waiting patiently. Welcome to the program, Tony. Hello. Can you hear me? I can hear you. Great. Okay. Well, I made a comment. You were commenting about all the money that Biden gave to Virginia. And I just would like to add that I think the reason he gave all that money to Virginia is because the vast number of people working in Washington live in Virginia. I used to work in Washington, and I lived in Virginia. That's true. Uh, and they'll put all the Tesla charging stations down there uh, for those people. Yeah, look, that has a ton to do with it, I'm sure. I mean, it's it's basically a bribe to the white people of Northern Virginia who still voted Democrat, even though they lost the state. And it's Teslas don't need to have gas in them to drive from Virginia into Washington and back. Right. Yeah. So what they're building are they're essentially building uh, electric uh, charging stations down the interstate uh, I-95 uh, out of Washington. They will build them $100 million worth of electric charging stations for Teslas and other electric vehicles. Uh, I'm, I'm sure they'll get them all the way to Richmond, uh, the, the outer, outer, outer burbs of Washington, D.C., uh, and then no, nowhere else um, will get them. And it's just, it, I mean, it, literally it amounts to about $10,000 per electric car in Virginia, given that there are only about 10,000 of them in Virginia. Of course, the government uh, answers, well, we have to build these to get more people to buy them. That's one of the reasons. Not exactly, but they don't care. All right, I, I have saved this. I have saved this for everyone. The, the satellites are back on. My voice is broadcast around the country. I've been saving this. Now, I need you to, I want you to know something about me. A number of years ago, I got invited. It was one of the, the great honors, and, and I, I do mean this seriously. One of the great honors of my life is I was invited to debate at the Oxford Union. I think this was 2013 or 14, maybe. And it was a wonderful experience. Uh, my wife and I flew to London, spent a couple of days there, went to Oxford University. And the matter being debated was affirmative action is a necessary evil. That was the debate. It's put in the positive and you vote for or against it. And I was on the, I was the closer for the anti-affirmative action side. And my closing point, and I did it all off the top of my head, was if you vote for this proposition, you are voting for evil. The proposition as worded says affirmative action is a necessary evil. Therefore, you are choosing knowingly to vote for evil. When given the choice of evil and not evil, you should always vote against evil. And actually, the chair of the Oxford Union was from Thailand. And he got down and joined the debate on my side before I spoke. Against it, said he was from Thailand. He had been discriminated against in Great Britain repeatedly. 
and yet he was vehemently opposed to the idea that someone, because of their race, needs to have a leg up handed to them by the government because all it does is it casts further doubt on their own intellect and abilities. It was wonderful. Oxford is a beautiful place. I loved doing it. I had a ton of fun. I had to I had to get a tux made. Didn't want to do a cheapie. I got a tailor uh, to make me a tux. And we went to London, and we had the debate. And before the debate, you all have dinner together. It's very collegial, and everyone has dinner together. And they bring out uh, this, this china. And I have never seen anything like it. It was the most delicate china I have ever seen. And I commented to the president of the student union. He says, yes, Queen Elizabeth gave us this china. And we have eaten on this china before every Oxford debate uh, since we got it. And I said, my goodness, it looks very, very old. He says, yes, it was Queen Elizabeth I who gave it to us. Back in the late 1500s, Queen Elizabeth gave them this china. And we were sitting at a table given by her father, Henry VIII. It was the most, I mean... Y'all, history in this country begins in, I mean, maybe if you're lucky in some places in the 1600s, go down to St. Augustine, you get real history in this country. But, I mean, we're we're literally, we're eating on a plate that was, I mean, made in the 1500s. And then to announce the winner of the debate after it's all over, you, you by the way, you stand at dispatch boxes, just like they do in Parliament. These wonderful dispatch boxes. And I forget which which member of the royal family gave them, but they were like 500 years old. And when they announce the debate, they stand on a table. They literally stand on the table, and the president of the Oxford Union stomps his feet to get everybody's attention. And the table was from Henry VII. It's just, I mean, the history is mind-boggling. It's, it's, it was mind-blowing. Uh, the, the, it was just, it was, it was amazing to be there and to participate, uh, the history of it. We got to go past where the um, uh, Queen Mary had burned the martyrs in, in Oxford. We got to see all the places where Harry Potter was filmed. We got to go to the library at Oxford, which was mind-blowing. Got to see where C.S. Lewis and, and J.R.R. Tolkien were. It just, it was an incredible amount of history. And the debates are so fun. They're very collegial. They're student and non-student participant. Well, they had one the other day on whether or not uh, we should, the proposition was that we should move beyond meat. Was it a, a support of like the beyond meat? We should, we should essentially become vegetarians. We should give up meat. That was the proposition. And the closeout speaker is a feminist who is an advocate for animal rights. She is super woke. And I've got to make you guys listen to her argument. I want you to listen to her. Now, full disclosure, this is important. Many of you who are listening to me right now, you are driving. And you're listening to me, and I appreciate your attention. But I need you to know something important here. I need you to keep your hands on the steering wheel and your focus on the road. 
because you may begin to laugh so hard at this and these. This is a woman who's not trying to be funny. She's not trying to tell jokes. She's not a stand-up comedian, and I don't want you to be at risk from laughing so hard, but this is worth listening to because I guarantee you these are becoming mainstream talking points on the left for why you should become a vegetarian. I believe we should move beyond all meat. The assumption that the best protein comes from corpses is a racist belief. How do you know the animal would have picked you to feed off their corpse? 21st century animal eating requires our complicity in a new colonialism. These events especially affect girls and young women. Your hamburger comes with a dose of misogyny. Popular culture is flooded with references to sexy cows, sexy pigs, sexy chickens, sexy fishes who all just want to have fun. Meat eating is also one of the ways gender-based structures of oppression are perpetuated. <laughs> Masculinity, a construct of the gender binary facing constant destabilization, feels always under threat, and eating animals is its protection racket. White supremacists weapon, weaponized it, eating meat, eggs, and dairy and the baiting of liberal men as so-called soy boys are all part of the neo-Nazi <laughs> messaging. <laughs> to say you care about animals is considered a sign of weakness in a world still committed to the gender binary. Meat eaters like anti-abortionists have forgotten that one quality of non-existence is not having awareness about existence. When all else fails, meat eaters assert that animals are not our equals. I heard all your laughter. I know some of these must be new ideas, or you think they're fringe or whatever. Our whiteness is part of the problem of meat eating. <laughs> Makes me want to stick right now. Our whiteness. Our whiteness. Meanwhile, you should see the three leaders of the Oxford Union, none of them are white. By the way, can I just get, I just, as an aside here, and this is actually serious. This woman, I think her name is Carol Adams. She's a feminist, anti-meat, uh, animal welfare advocate who believes that whiteness and white colonialism have given rise to meat eating. And it is our racism, our whiteness, impacts the environment and makes us clueless to the fact that eating meat and eggs and milk is detrimental to the planet and disrespectful to the animals. That's her argument. Do you know where, and by the way, she probably really, really gets confused about what animal husbandry is. Do you know where farming came from came from Mesopotamia and do you know they started growing more rapidly when they started eating meat when they started eating protein from animals they started growing drinking milk eating animal protein using their furs to keep them warm, they started growing. They started developing. Brains evolved. And it didn't come from white people in Europe. It didn't even come from the Roman Empire. 
It came in Mesopotamia. It came in Africa. It came in Southeast Asia. And for her to say it's a product of white colonialism and racism that we eat meat is a very arrogant statement because it ignores history. It culturally appropriates history into whiteness in order to shame it by allowing her a way to ignore the racism that comes from her statement of saying it's white privilege to be able to eat meat. It's not. It's through human history. And she wants to ignore it. And we see this more and more on the left where they try to impute things into whiteness in order to condemn them when those things historically really weren't a part of white culture and white society. They were part of just society and the world in general. But they can't condemn them if the whole world's doing it, so they got to make it about white people. It, it, it's utterly mind-blowing, and yet here we are. These arguments about vegetarianism and veganism, they are fringe. They are not mainstream. The idea that your hamburger comes with a side of misogyny and society depicts sexy cows and sexy pigs and sexy chickens and sexy fishes, she says. Uh, I, I don't know about you, but I, I hadn't. Maybe she's thinking about the Chick fil A cow, and I don't find that sexy. Maybe she does. But for her to try to wrap race into food and race and white supremacy and and white culture and colonialism into the development of a society that eats meat she's allowed to do it because she's a a well-to-do white person she's given that pass to speak in this way and few would call her out on it because she's of the left she is white she's a feminist she's an animal welfare activist everything she says is based on a revision of history that's devoid of fact and truth, and yet she gets away with it and gets allowed to say these things, as do so many of these people. If you want to be a vegetarian, be a vegetarian. If you want to be a vegan, be a vegan. But don't try to wrap meat eating into white colonialism and white power. It's simply not true. And anyone who says so is a liar, and yet they're perfectly willing to lie, knowing that no one in the media elite would ever call them out on it. Now, I want to call you and your attention to Patriot Mobile. They are a cell phone provider. They are my cell phone provider. They actually are a fantastic company to do business with. You can port your phone number over to them. If you want to take your existing number and move it to Patriot Mobile, you can do that. If you want a new number, you can do that too. If you have an unlocked phone, they can set you up to keep it working. I've got an iPhone and it was unlocked and they were able to port it over. What you do is you go to patriotmobile.com slash Eric. PatriotMobile.com slash E-R-I-C-K. You can call them. They have 100% U.S.-based customer service. Their phone number is 972-PATRIOT. 972-PATRIOT. Tell them Eric sent you. You get free activation. You get a lot of discounts too. Veteran, first responder, teacher, NRA member. You get discounts. And then they take a portion of their profits and they fund the conservative movement. All the causes you care about as a conservative, they fund with their profits. And by being a customer, you help grow their profits, which grows their ability to help the conservative movement. So move your cell phone plan over to them or get a new one from them, 972-PATRIOT or patriotmobile.com slash Eric.
Hello there. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-973-7425. Let's go to Charlie waiting patiently. Welcome. Hey, Eric. I enjoy the show, and I agree with you 99.9% of the time. Thank you. My my question is, Ed, I'm in a situation where the big insurance companies like Geico, um, being a victim in a uh, wreck two years ago, I'm having to try to settle everything out, looking for restitution, having to hire lawyers, all this. And I'm being told that the tort reform in our legislation in Georgia is the problem about getting um, restitution so that uh, the big insurance companies are have the power anymore. Persons like you and I, we would go to jail if we didn't purchase our insurance. However, we're put on the back burner so long that the skillet's burned. What yeah. is your opinion, politically and lawyer? Well, I, I mean, let, let's just deal with the politics of it. First, uh, you got uh, major leaders in the state tend to be trial lawyers so that they try to thread the needle there. But then major lobbyists and major employers in the state tend to be the insurance companies. Uh, Geico, Aflac, and the like, uh, they're all the, some of the biggest employers in the state of Georgia. So you got the legislatures uh, threading the needle there tends to be to the advantage of those companies because they have the most prominent lobbyists considering they hire the most people. They're the ones people in the legislature uh, mention. I myself, having been a lawyer, including doing trial work, I still think we need trial, uh, we need tort reform in Georgia. Uh, more tort reform than we have. I, I think there are still issues. Uh, and I saw it in, in my days being a lawyer and representing zealously my clients. I still saw there were ways we could take advantage of the system and it, it caused actually deleterious effects, higher rates and the like across the state, um, which is unfortunate. By the way, um, this has been a national story, so I, I don't hesitate to talk about this regardless of, of where you're listening. You know, the in the state of Georgia, the um, the residents of Buckhead, which is a the financial sector of Atlanta, Georgia, have tried to secede from Atlanta. Uh, Tucker Carlson's covered this. CNN's covered this. MSNBC has covered this. Uh, of course, the MSNBC was all about race. Actually, it's about crime. Uh, so my radio station flagship is in Atlanta. My office is there. I go up there a lot. I stay in the Buckhead area. Uh, I actually moved hotels given the hotel I normally stayed at had a shooting there. And at the new hotel, I walked out one night, was just going to go for a walk. And the guy at the press says, uh, Mr. Erickson, you don't, you don't want to leave the, the uh, hotel uh, lobby. You, you, don't want to, you don't want to go out. It's not safe after dark and bucket anymore. It's a problem. There have been random shootings, big mall and stuff. So they wanted to secede. The problem is the head of the secession movement has had a, a wonderful way of putting his foot in his mouth, has alienated probably people with some of his tweets and the like, uh, didn't realize how aggressively people would push back on him. And now... Uh, the lieutenant governor in the state Senate and the Speaker of the House of Representatives have both said it's not going anywhere. Uh, the effort uh, dies when Speaker David Ralston joins a chorus of Republicans who said they need to give the mayor, the new mayor of Atlanta, who just got elected, time to solve the problem. And if he doesn't solve the problem, they'll revisit it. So it's basically on pause, which may be reasonable. The guy did just get elected, but... I don't know. Most of Buckhead voted against him. We'll see where this plays out. It's 2022. Things are still crazy. Things haven't settled down. And now you got the Federal Reserve and interest rates. You got the economy. You got inflation. A lot of banks won't even return your phone call. 
Let's say you're a small business and you need a loan for $750,000 or higher. You see an opportunity where banks, they don't even want to see you. You want to buy a building, you want to build a building, reach out to the Frost family at First Liberty Building and Loan. They've been helping small businesses become big businesses since the 1990s. They want to help you if they can. So spend 10 minutes with them. See if you're a good fit for them and they're a good fit for you. Their website is firstlibertyga.com. That's firstlibertyga.com. Again, you need a loan, $750,000 or higher. You're a small business and you see an opportunity to grow. Share it with the Frost family and see if they can help you. Firstlibertyga.com. That's firstlibertyga.com. First Liberty Building and Loan can help businesses nationwide become bigger businesses.